Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for a little hardcore church planting. You know, because we've got to do it hardcore-like. And it doesn't get more hardcore than today. And today we have on our show uh, a guest that I am super excited about, and that is Steve Smith of T4T fame. Uh, and Steve, we, you've got some other things. you got a new book called Hastening Out. We're going to talk about that a little bit, and we're going to talk about what makes you tick. Welcome onto the show. Hey, thanks a lot. Hey, you know, Steve, uh, when we usually interview a guest, one of the first things we always like to do is have them tell us their story of how they came to faith. And uh, we do that because a lot of people uh, might be new to you, and uh, we always like to give them a little bit of that background. So why don't you go ahead and tell us your story of how you came to faith? Well, it's really what's inspired the rest of my life. Uh, I came to faith really as a young child in a very strong Bible-teaching church, uh, but for 11 years as a, you know, as a church attender, I just did not understand what it meant to be a disciple. And it was really when I was 18 that God rocked my world and just said, hey, I want you to be a complete disciple that just lives completely surrendered to me every day. And uh, it completely altered my life. And I realized, you know, I thought to myself, what, what, what took me 11 years to get that uh, as a believer? Shouldn't every believer live that way? And I just kind of began to live on mission to say, hey, every one of us ought to just live completely, radically obedient to the word of God in love with Jesus and just take it where he leads us. Awesome. Awesome. What got you started in church planning? Well, you know, I was, uh, I was sort of on the, uh, pastor preparation track in Texas where I went to school and was pastoring a little country church in college. And then in seminary, uh, you know, I was planning to do the regular thing where you go to pastor the next size church and so on. But, the, the call God really gave me was to shepherd God's people to be completely obedient to his word. And I just, I hadn't seen it yet. Hmm. So I made a trip out to LA. Um, there was a guy out there named Tom Wolf, who his church, uh, it's now called Mosaic. They just radically were surrendered to Jesus, obeying his word. And they had a heart for the nations to finish the task. And when I saw that, I just said, you know, I, the Lord's calling us to go to places where the gospel is not being preached. Mm. And we want to be mentored. We know we need to be mentored because we don't know how to do this. And it just launched us into the beginning of a journey in L.A., uh, which eventually took us to Asia and uh, and then eventually coaching church planters around the world. That's cool. Steve, tell us, um, did you say that you were in Asia for 19 years? Yeah, uh, we originally went to Asia uh, to an unreached country, uh, primarily to target an unreached people group that had no one presenting the gospel to them, no church planters, nothing. Um, we were with them for about seven years, and God really just started a movement among them where just everyday believers among the people group 
were just sharing the gospel. They were making disciples. They were discipling people. They were starting groups that were becoming churches. And this was just multiplying through the mountains where they lived. Uh, and then eventually, um, we began to move from that to where we began to oversee church planters, nationals, and missionaries, and so on, just to reach whole areas of the world, Southeast Asia, and more recently, just more globally, just trying to say, hey, average believers are the ones God's calling to do this. Mm. Uh, this isn't for guys that have got the degrees. I mean, guys with the degrees are, are used by God, but you know, discipleship in the New Testament from Mark 1 Jesus said to his disciples, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We want that to be the DNA of every disciple. Wow. So so tell us, most people know you through the T4T uh, book and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, they're obviously familiar with Ying, Ying Kai. Right. Um, but but I, I, I always like to give people the opportunity to hear that story who aren't familiar. Um, I, you know, and, and part of this podcast is to expose people uh, to maybe people that we know and take for granted, but um, I do think T4T is taking uh, the the United States by storm. But could you tell our listeners some of that story? And maybe for those who haven't heard, tell us what T4T is, what sure, it means, sure. and the story behind it, how it started. Yeah, well, let me back up a bit. Um, I think one thing that really struck me when I was in the mountains of East Asia exploring our people group, it just hit me the model of church planting we had done in the States, which was highly innovative, just wasn't going to work where we were going. And so we were forced to go back just over and over to the Word of God and say, how did it happen there? And eventually, as we began to just train average new believers, I mean, we had church planters that were six months old in their faith, Hmm. um, that were just going to the next village over or the next neighborhood to just share Jesus and see what might happen. in that environment, uh, with ourselves and then our brother Inkai, who was working in another part of the country, he was doing similar things, but it, just, it was just like on steroids, you know, spiritual steroids. And he really originated what we call training for trainers. And all that means is simply this everyone's called to obey the Great Commission, to make disciples. And that word, to make disciples, can also mean to train believers to do what Jesus is calling them to do. And so he just said, hey, we're going to train every believer to follow Jesus and to make disciples who can train them and train them to do the same thing with others. And just generation by generation, um, you know, he began to get new generations of disciples and groups and churches like every week or two. You know, we were getting new generations of churches every six months and new, every church would start a new church every six months. Hmm. But what happened was that just began to set a bar to say, hey, the book of Acts can happen over and over again. Um, and so what God began to do in me, and I think what he did, especially in Ng also, was to tear down our presuppositions about what God can and can't do. And then gradually this began to multiply around the world. And if I were to describe what T4T is, it's just simply a discipleship process where we just say, hey, we're going to live life with one another in such a way that every one of us can disciple others and train you to do the same thing with someone else in a very loving, uh, highly open-heart environment. We we just live out Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, where we just, we stir one another up to love and good deeds. And what's happening is now across the world, uh, Asia, South Asia, Africa, Europe, and now the last four years across the U.S., it's just 
we're hitting communities that have been been missed for generations, you know, trailer parks and hourly hotels and gated communities and so on. It's just amazing what God's doing. Interesting. Interesting. You know, what was it like uh, when you were in Asia being a part of uh, the underground church and, and, mm-hmm. and working in that type of an environment? Well, you know, to me, my faith is still inspired by, by those folks. And you know, one thing that I've learned as we've been doing this the last 19 years is, you know, uh, you can have a clear you know, vision in place. You can have a really highly reproducible model of evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Um, and you can have a way to disciple people week on week that, that empowers them to do this. But until you have uh, the spiritual willingness to die— uh, you know, Jesus said, until a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What I was struck by with the underground believers is their willingness to die uh, to things, to self, uh, and to die physically, if that was the case, because they just loved Jesus so much, and they wanted his kingdom to expand. And that is what's really inspired me to say, hey, I've only got 80 or 90 years or 70 years on this earth. I want to I want to make the most of it because I want to present all of these peoples of the world as a gift to Jesus one day. That's awesome, man. And you know, it's funny because I'm 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 feeling like you just described America in reverse. <laughs> mm. And uh, you know, the biggest thing in people's weeks is like, hey, man, Walking Dead is on this week, or you know, it's it's very much a, a vacuumous black hole. Um, mm. Where our society teaches us to suck everything inwards towards ourselves, and of course the cross is you know it's the opposite, right? It's laying down your life for others. It's it's living that crucified life, and 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 I love how you've connected that because you know obviously that was Paul's um, whole motivator, where he goes, "Hey, the love of Christ compels me. That's what's driving me on." So. If okay, so so putting this all into context, you've got a new book out, yeah. and it's called Hastening. And I am fascinated with your approach to this book. Um, tell us what Hastening is about, why you wrote it, and why you wrote it the way you wrote it. <laughs> well, it really stems back to my de- my days as a church planter in L.A. And we had a very highly missional church. I mean, we were trying to send people to the nations. But even so, with a very young crowd, uh, it was still hard to get people to just be a part of the greatest mission ever given us. Um, and I was just consumed by Matthew twenty four fourteen, where Jesus says, "This gospel will be as a, of the kingdom will pre- be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, which is literally the ethnic groups, and then the end will come." And I thought, you know, I missed I missed the first generation when Jesus walked this earth. Why, why can't I be a part of the second generation that's standing here when he returns? And if the only thing that's standing in the way is he's waiting for the gospel to get to every remaining people group around the world, then I want to finish this thing. And so, but I realized that most of the church members that I knew of, not just in LA, but around the world that I'd met, they, they're never going to pick up a book that talks about Matthew 24, 14. They're never going to pick up a missions book. So just like Things like The Shack and Left Behind and, and all of these novels have taken the Christian world by storm. Couldn't we write something that was about the greatest mission ever given to the church in a way that was a thriller that people that are not going to pick up a missions book would pick it up and say, hey, this is good stuff. 
And my, my cousin just recently asked me, hey, how do I become a part of that force you're talking about in that book that wants to finish the task? So the thesis of the book is simply that just average believers get completely radically turned on to what Jesus gave us in terms of the Great Commission. And they say, we're going to lay down everything. Uh, we're we're going to, it's like a wartime mobilization to finish the task. And we're setting a target date of 10 years, and we're going to do whatever it takes to finish by that point. Just like we did in the Second World War. I mean, everyone in, this, in America was in some way involved in the war effort because the mandate was clear. The objective was clear. And everyone, whether you're on the front line or back here in a factory or saving up your dimes for buying war bonds, everyone was involved to finish that war. And that's what we want to do with the global mission. Hmm. So hastening is the first part. Uh, the second book will be out in about a month. It's called Rebirth, which is the conclusion. And uh, it's, it's exciting. I mean, it's starting to take, uh, take things by storm. We've, just, we've seen a lot of copies get sold. And people that are starting to gather around and say, now we want to be a part of doing this. And so groups are forming to say, we're going to be a no place left group to finish the task. And I, I hear, too, that uh, Nicolas Cage is trying to star in the movie version, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um, will there be lightsabers? That's what I want to know. And can people use the Force? Yeah, well, if we could get lightsabers into it, it would probably do much better. Uh, <laughs> we, do, we do actually have a Force, but he's more personal than the Star Wars Force. <laughs> you know what I always think they should have in books is all the stuff that got cut out in an appendix. Like, this is the stuff my publisher would not allow in the book. <laughs> it's surprising to me. I wrote a book called Church Zero. It's surprising to me what they let in. But, oh, my gosh, the stuff they cut out. That, that's what we need is a lightsaber bit that's been cut out. Of hastening, because that sounds like a Jedi title. Yeah. So set the scene for us a little bit, Steve. Um, you know, because it, it's written in in a novel form, which that is so fascinating. Set the scene. It was a dark and stormy night. Well, it's about a pastor, young pastor. He's in LA. He's dissatisfied with their amazing growth as a church uh, because it's just not getting the kingdom spread the way he wanted to. So he gathers a couple of his close buddies, a businessman. Uh, professor, and they just say, hey, what's it going to take to finish this thing? And they begin to rally their small church, and they begin to begin to live with this sacrificial effort to finish. Well, frankly, if we're going to be the generation that finishes this thing, it means that we're going to be in the end times. So the book's not an end times mm. book, but it begins to portray the cost of what that revelation generation is going to be like, Yeah, which sounds pretty far-fetched. Uh, but it doesn't matter how you read Revelation, it's going to be pretty crazy sounding. And so we begin to uh, just put it in that context, uh, and the movement just takes, takes, takes place uh, country by country. You know what? Everything in that book and in its sequel is based on a true story somewhere in the world. Mm. Everything is something that's actually happening somewhere. Mm. Uh, but for protecting the identities of folks, it's written in a fiction format. Uh, but there's nothing in the books that are that are unrealistic, uh, but rather faith-filled if we'll live that way. That's awesome. And you know what? The the whole end times thing has been hijacked by the crazy people. And, uh, you know, of course it's apocalyptic and it's using a lot of symbolism and, and things like that. But, man, I, I think God must sometimes look down and go, you guys are kind of missing the point here. Exactly. You know, the point's about my glory. It's about the revelation of who Jesus is in the in in the universe and in 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 your 
in 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 the world and in people's lives and Satan's kicking off against that. And of course, the gospel's right at the heart of that thing. So thank you for bringing common sense back into the end times, my friend. Well, I hope I hope it does. And, you know, that's what I get out of Matthew 24. All that end times discussion, Jesus is like, guys, don't worry about the birth pangs. So let's just make sure the gospel is preached all, in all the world. And then, only then can the end come. So that's, that's the focus of both the books of Hastening and Rebirth. And frankly, guys, uh, when Rebirth comes out, when the final chapter hits, and if you read it and you're not on your knees crying, then we haven't, a, a, we haven't achieved what we set out to achieve because it's all worth it. It's worth everything that we can endure. Hmm. That know, sounds beautiful, man. One I, of the questions, I like the fact that you want to move people. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I just, I just think if we put it on an eternal timeline, what, what is it that we suffer in this life that is can be compared with the glory to be to come? And so, my goodness, let's be about the greatest thing. I, what I learned when I was a church planter was this: we had a lot of college students. They would frequently come up to me and say, "Steve." How can I, I know what God's will is for my life? I would just tell them, you're asking the wrong question. The question is not, what is God's will for your life? The question is, what is God's will? And then how does your life fit into that? And I love Acts 13, 36, where it says, David served the purpose of God in his own generation and then died. Hmm. I think that's what we need to do. We need to say, what's God doing in our generation uniquely? And then how can we position our lives to bring glory to God to fulfill that? So that's, that's what the books are all about. Hmm. That's awesome, man. I think that's really, uh, really powerful. Um, I, I just had to jot that down. You know, the question isn't what's God's will for my life. The question is what's God's will. And then how can I fit into that? I, I love that. I love the way that you've worded that. It's that, hmm. that really helps crystallize, you know, what our, what our job is, what our purpose is here. Hmm. Um, Tell us, if you will, about, uh, you know, how you help mobilize church planners. Um, <laughs> what does that look like? Oh, well, it's as diverse as the universe. It's just crazy, guys. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. You know what? Our average church planter is a guy with a full-time job, uh, a mom with, with, you know, with kids. You know, that's our average church planter. And, and what they do is they just get so, just so rocked by God's vision to say, hey, what's it going to take to get to no place left in my neighborhood, in my city? And you know, what's it going to take to get to no place left where we can say there's no place left where Jesus isn't being preached? And they just ask, how do I become a part of that equation? And they, they get into discipling relationships, training groups, and, and eventually say the this, this stay-at-home mom says, well, I'm going to reach out to the other soccer moms. And she begins to share with them, and then she begins to gather them together and disciple them. And as she does that, then eventually a lot of those groups become churches. And I think when we use the word church in, in, our, in our movements that we're a part of, uh, we're just going back to Acts 2. And we're, we're saying only what we see there is what we're going to make sort of the, the bar for, for when we call something church, you know, they're meeting together, they're, they're covenanted together, they're worshiping the Lord, they're around the, around the Word of God, they're breaking bread, all of those things. Because church planting, frankly, is very intimidating to most people. And it's because we look at a building, we look at a program, we look at a launch model, and we say, I can't do that. I'm not in that select group that can do that. But we've tried to say, let's make it as simply 
biblical as possible. And really, most people can jump to that bar. Uh, and so our average church planters are people with full-time jobs uh, or stay-at-home moms or, or whatever students. And we have a few people that are in it for the full-time. But those guys and gals are more sort of like hubs to say, we want to help. Let me, let me give you an example. One guy I was talking to just recently, when they looked at their city, this pastor said, wow, the question is not really, how can I plant my church or build my church? The question is, how do we build a movement to take this whole city for God? And how many churches would we have to have to make that happen? We're going to have to have hundreds. They're going to be meeting in business parks and in, and in hotels and in homes and in church buildings and so on. So once we start asking the question, what is it going to take to finish the task in any given area? then what it does is it frees pastors that are sort of more in a full-time role really to become trainers. Um, I ask pastors, I say, why, why don't you stop pastoring people and start pastoring church planters mm. and equip all of your people that God raises up by a spirit to do the very things we're talking about. But to do that, it, we have to use very simple ways to help people share Christ, disciple, form groups, and so on, you know. Tell tell us um tell us about hastening as far as you know where people can get it um you know and you know when your 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 follow up to that is coming out sure well of course you go on Amazon and and grab a hold of it uh, we've priced it pretty low but if you go to our website which is NPL twenty twenty five like no place left twenty twenty five dot org we've got a special where you can buy four books for 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 eight dollars each. And so, and then we can buy, you can buy a case of books, which is, I think, 32 books for $6 each. Hmm. So we've got a lot of folks that are buying a case of books for, what, 180 bucks, including postage. And they're just, they're becoming sort of mobilizers of movements in different parts mm -hmm. of the states. And so they're gathering pastors and friends. They're saying, hey, let's read this together and let's figure out what it would take to get to no place left in, in, our, in our area, which is what the, the books are called. They're called No Place Left, Hastening, No Place Left, Rebirth. And the whole, whole idea is like Paul in Romans 15, where he says, you know, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I fully proclaim the gospel. There's no place left for me in these regions. Hey, that'd be amazing if we could say that about our, our cities, you know. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, you know, Steve, uh, one of the things we always like to do on our podcast is we've got kind of a of an insightful question, I'll I'll leave it as 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 that as an insightful question at the end of our our interview time. And uh, so here's our question for you, Steve. And we won't play any music in the background or have any Jeopardy going for you to think about this. But uh, I can sing. We we can <laughs> sing. Well, I can't sing, as you can hear. I, I see the run up already. Go ahead. Everybody <laughs> loves kung fu fighting. <laughs> All right. So ahead. our question for you is this, Steve: If you were to get into a physical fist fight. With Inkai, who would win? Oh, I'd win hands down. <laughs> yeah, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Lay the smackdown on Ying. But, you know, he's got 20 years on me. You know, so, um, but in a spiritual fist fight, the guy is going to win hands down. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice uh, consolation prize that you gave to Ying. But I dig that you're going to take him. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Now, he's Chinese? He's Chinese-American. Okay. And I uh, grew up in Taiwan. But... Um, you know what? One of the most humble, godly men in the entire world. Amazing guy. Is he trained in the martial arts? You know what? He does not say that he is, but do not be surprised. I would not <laughs> take him from behind. 
I love that. You never know what he's hiding up his sleeve. Exactly. Exactly. I dig it, man. And, and Our, if, if he's not trained, he knows people that are. So trust oh, me on that. Oh, I get you. I get you. Well, cool, man. Cause you know, I just pictured you guys sitting playing Xbox one day, you know, and you know, him, him being a little selfish on the game. You're like, all right, here goes buddy. Bam. And then it's over, you know? Yeah. Well, my, my, my reputation on Xbox with my three sons is, uh, the moment I stick my head out from behind a wall, I'm sniped. So I don't get very far. No, that's true. You know, that's why I no longer play those games. <laughs> to, to be frank, I quit after the Atari 2600. I just got too frustrated after that. So, yeah, but that's when it was getting good. Pete, Pitfall, uh, River Raid, Defender. Those are my games. I'm yeah, in, Pong, baby. I'm in. All that. And Steve remembers this because, Steve, this is before you became a missionary. This is over Absolutely. 90 years ago. So you're like, yeah. oh, that's the last video game I remember. How about that's Combat? You know, there were like 23 games there. You got to love Combat. Combat was the bomb. Especially when you hit the guy and knocked him like clear off the screen and then he came back on the other side. <laughs> I love it. But hey, Steve, you know what? Hey. We we have greatly appreciated you. Big respect for you and Ying and the work that you guys have done in T4T. And uh, Hastening sounds like an incredible book. Sounds like it's a book that every pastor should grab hold of and just give to his congregation. You know? Absolutely. And, um, and then form, form reading groups and ask, what are we going to do about it? You know, because the guy's always like trying to get people motivated. And here exactly. you provided a tool where you're like, look, I know people. It's obvious talking to you, Steve. That's what you do. You're a mobilizer. You mobilize people. And you're, you're, you're a part of one of the, I would say, the biggest movement of, of mobilizing uh, the average person uh, on the planet. So uh, when you put a tool together, dang it, people listen. So... I would say, uh, guys, consider for your core teams and even your sending churches, um, grabbing hold of them and telling them, hey, grab hold of this tool. This is a tool uh, to do probably better uh, for a congregation than, 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 what, than what your pastor is trying to do. And uh, so, Steve, man, thanks for coming on. Thanks yeah. for sharing with us. It's been a total blessing. Any guy that spends 19 years as a missionary in Southeast Asia working with underground churches and church planning movements, Man, it's been an honor to have you on here. Hey, thanks. I really appreciate the time, guys. All right. And just God uh, bless you, man. Uh, right, Lord uh, bless you guys. A well, quick reminder. Hold on. Hold on. Peyton. Peyton. Hold on. Oh, wait, wait. Just a quick reminder to everyone. You can pick up Steve's book, Amazon.com. It's called Hastings, or you can go to NPL, as in no place left, 2025.org, and you can buy them in bulk. And just remember, Pete has a cold, so it's not Hastings, it's Hastenings. He just says Hastings. it that way when he has his head cold. <laughs> Hastenings. Hastenings. With no S. <laughs> Steve no S. Oh, it's Hastening. <laughs> Sorry. Hastening. <laughs> All right. And I have no excuse. Well, hey, this has been Hardcore Church Planning. Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you liked this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.